Hi, this is Tzvi Freeman for Chabad.org. You may have read some of my articles on the site or seen some of my books. But for now, I want you to just sit back and let me turn your world on its head. This is the Tzaddik and the Dragon of Darkness. It's a Kabbalistic sci-fi fantasy based on the Book of Tanya. Look, I've never read a a story on this podcast before, but there's always a first time. So, hey, let me know. Let me know how you like it. Part one. They called you Nishamala. You lived way beyond the clouds. It was a delightfully innocent pre-earthly existence. You bathed in the honey-sweet, divine glow that saturates every one of the endless strata of the gardens of Eden, each with its particular flavor of light, its own taste of ecstasy, bliss unlimited. And then, then you got that call. They told you that you needed. It's time, they said, for you to go down there. Down where? Don't sweat it said the voice at the other end. It's all good. We'll explain when you get here. Prep training starts tomorrow. First thing, dress lightly. Prep was a blast. You were met by an ancient entity that introduced itself as just Coach. Coach had an entire VR lab at its disposal. It also had endless patience. Most importantly, Coach had a way of listening to you debrief after an exercise and then softly and gently put into the fewest possible words everything you needed to hear to make sense of whatever you had just experienced. Coach also assured you that it would not be stepping away. It would continue on throughout your mission as your officially registered guardian angel. After your initial briefing, you slipped into a virtual human body, getting the feel of kinetic limitations in high-res space-time. Then you immersed your entire being in simulation games designed to gradually habituate you to novel experiences, such as occupying only one location at a time, traversing space along a contiguous trajectory, and most significantly, The sensation of existing as a sharply distinct and subjectively separate entity from the infinite light. Once you had gained sufficient familiarity with these parameters, you began relearning the entire divine wisdom, this time in the form it's understood in a material world, as much as you could fathom such things from up there. Slowly, a clarity of what you were in for began to crystallize in your consciousness. The free lunch was over. No more perpetual ecstasy, no more serenity, no more gratuitous revelations of the secrets of existence. You're going to have to work for a living, adulting. And hey, that was exciting. Eventually, game time had to end. Coach brought you straight from the lab to stand before a heavenly tribunal. Three dignified, long-bearded beings wrapped in glowing robes were visibly happy to greet you. Really nice guys. They even had names. Up there, names are determined dynamically, and therefore they're necessarily ephemeral. But these judges introduced themselves, nevertheless, by name. Yes, we are a tribunal court, but our job is to help you succeed in your mission. We're all on your team. You can call me Mike. And me, Gabe. 
Raf here. Glad to meet you. So, Mike continued, since we know how eager you are to get started on your mission, let's get straight down to business. Then Gabe spoke next. We're going to administer an oath. You only need to say yes. Promise us, Nishamala, that you will be good. You said nothing. Nishamala, said Gabe, you seem confused. You nodded. They waited. You figured you had to say something, so eventually you did. Hey, like, I'm a Nishama. Uh, of course I'm good. I mean, for this I get schlepped in front of a holy tribunal to promise I will be who I basically am? They had all apparently heard this before. True, Nishamala, Mike answered. You are indeed very special. No other being in the whole creation can compare to you in specialness. We angels all emerge from the Creator's speech while you emerge directly out of His most inner thoughts. The highest among us are but emanations while you contain the very essence of the divine. That is why we are sending you down there as opposed to one of us. For, as explained well in the Adam Files, you alone can descend below and yet remain tightly bonded with your essential self here above. Exactly, you said. So there's no need for this oath. What's next? But since you are here already, said Mike, Let's take this step-by-step step as per protocol so that we can get you off to your mission, a very exciting one indeed. Nishamala, promise you will be good. Yes, I will be good. And you will not be bad. Well, I just said I'll be good, so it follows that. Please, what does it hurt? Just say you will not be bad. Hey, have you guys ever heard of a vain oath, like swearing that a tree is a tree or a rock is a rock or that you guys have wings and a halo? That's a no-no, right? So how is this any different? We assure you, this is a standard oath administered with the full authority of the Supreme Heavenly Court. It's been deemed necessary and appropriate by multiple committees with all the data before them. And, And no one ever challenged it, you said. They lost every time, Gabe said. Now, could you please just say, Okay, I promise I will not be bad. Very good, Gabe said. Now, let's say you do well down there. Well, well beyond the 99th percentile. And let's say the whole world is looking up to you and saying, You made it. You are so good. You are such a tzaddik. What do you answer them? Um, you say, Well, I guess... Thanks, guys. It was tough, but hey, this is how I was trained. Keep super connected to your origin above and focused on your goal below. Do that, and then you too. You couldn't go on. Because Raph, the one who had stood quietly in the middle until now and yet appeared to be the real head of the tribunal, was looking you in the eye with a compassion you could never have fathomed up there. But it shook you. His eyes pierced through you and into your future, perceiving all the struggles and labors that were to befall you in your lifetime on earth. Like, he really felt that struggle. And you should have realized then and there that he really wanted you to succeed. Raf began to speak. Look, Nishamala, you'll have to trust us on this. 
It will benefit you greatly, even if by every metric in both behavioral and effective domains you score as a 100% all-good tzaddik. You must look at yourself as though you were bad, bad like a Russia. Promise us you will do that. Tzaddik, Russia, you knew those terms from the simulation games. The Russia was a human consciousness trapped by the other side, locked into a state of confusion and doped by the illusion of an independent universe to become tolerant, perhaps oblivious, even delusional to the tragedy that had befallen it. The tzaddik was a human with a neshama consciousness, pulsating with the rhythm of divine cosmic light, light that transformed everything that tzaddik encountered, liberating the sparks that had fallen into captivity and returning them to their origin. You, you neshamala, how could you be anything but a tzaddik? How could you possibly even begin to imagine yourself as a... a, a? You stood there. You blinked. Finally, you replied, Can't do that. Why can't you do that, they asked. You figured this couldn't be happening, but it was. So you thought fast, and this is what you came up with. It's an undisputed mission in the Tractate of Avos. It says, Never be a Russia in your own estimation. We know that, they answered. Yes, but... Okay, you said, I get it. You want me to squeeze some alternative interpretation out of that, like don't do something today that could make you a Russia tomorrow, or don't be a Russia all on your own. No, that's no good. How about compassionate wrath cut you off again? Listen carefully, he said. You'll need to know this. Considering yourself bad is not just a bad idea. It's extremely hazardous. It's known to lead to a highly deleterious syndrome the sages of the mission call a bad heart. There's no worse attitude, they caution, than a bad heart. The bad heart syndrome, in turn, is a direct route to depression. I, I see, you said. So, if so, the combo is lethal. The Torah lists 49 not very nice things that befall the Jewish people when they do not serve God with happiness and a good heart. Right, so so you will need to avoid depressing thoughts such as these at all costs. Celebrate life. Celebrate your mission. Always remember the infinite light is with you down there in your mission far more than any revelation in these upper worlds. Then you will rejoice. Raph looked you straight in the eye. It's a tough world down there. You can't beat it when you're down. The only way you're going to win is by staying above it at all times at all costs. Be happy. Never forget that. It's key to your success on this mission. So, what exactly do you want from me, you burst out? Like, I'm supposed to say, hey, so I'm bad. I'm an adult. I can handle that. And just not get depressed, even though I worked so hard to be a tzaddik and landed stuck in the role of a despicable Russia? That's the plan? No, Mike piped in. That would be a poor strategy indeed. Disastrous. Gabe explained. You see, even if you could cleverly tiptoe around a sleeping depression dragon without waking it, a yet more dreadful specter in that cavern frothingly awaits people who take your aforementioned modality. 
The cold and crafty phantom of Hekukers, intimately related to the arch enemy of Israel, Amalek. Be okay with being bad and you're his lunch. A shiver crept down your ethereal spine. Somehow you regained the wherewithal to meekly respond. Just my point. So how about we just go with the oaths I've taken so far and personally, I'm ready to get this mission on the ground. The three looked at one another and spoke a few words you were obviously not meant to hear. Nishamala, one of them said, we need you to do this. Just take the oath. Even if by every metric and the measure of your peers you have been classed as a tzaddik, you've got to consider yourself like a Russia. This makes no sense, you cried out. You panicked. You started attempting to unzip out of that virtual body. Every time you zipped something down, it just zipped itself back as you went under the next zipper, driving you into a frenzy. What are you doing, they asked. I'm not going, you yelled. You have to go. I'm not going, you yelled. You, you have no choice. I'm not going, you yelled. For this you were created. Then I will fail, you replied. On purpose, because it's a dumb mission, and, and who cares? 70, 80, 120 years, and I come back to eternal bliss back home up here. What's a finite lifetime relative to infinity? I'm not going to fight a battle that you guys are setting me up to lose. Again, Judge Raff spoke. When he spoke, you had to calm down, do deep breathing, and listen, because Raff cared. Nishamullah, he said softly, Understand what's happening here. This is an investment, not just on our part, not just on the part of the infinite light who pervades and transcends all, blessed be he, beyond all praises and songs, and yet is prepared to invest a child of his very essence and being into this project. It is an investment on your part as well. And you, concluded Raph, you are what is being invested. A pause. And then Gabe took over. What this means, he said, is that you're not going to stand up here having some VR experience of existence in a body down there and then just switch it off when mom calls for dinner or reboot the device if things get too wired. No, he said. Don't expect to remain unaffected and unscathed by the performance of your earthly self. Your very essence and being is invested in this. You will become intimately tied up with this human animal that you will enter. Its pain will become your pain, and its pleasure will be your pleasure. Its story will become your story. Its destiny, your destiny. Up there, whatever is spoken is seen and experienced. As Gabe spoke, you heard no words. You saw visions and you felt emotions you could not begin to comprehend as snippets of your life below flashed through your senses and entered your heart. You witnessed your own birth and experienced your mother's pain and joy, your father's pride and concern, and your own raw and primal distress of entering a cold, unstable world. You experienced the unbridled laughter and tears of childhood the trauma of parents at war with one another, the yearning for a father who never returned except once to inflict pain, 
the awkwardness of adolescence in which you saw yourself staring at your filtered image in a device as a fleeting thought buzzed through your mind. Is this really all I'm here for? Could there be more? And you took that shot, pondered it, and thought, why do I always have that look of insecurity on my face when my friends look so sure of themselves? You returned from what seemed an almost eternal dream as Gabe was still speaking. Here above, he said, we are able to perceive a thing and remain aloof. We look, we know, we depart and are left unscathed. But down there, whatever you do or speak or imagine, you become. Mike interrupted. There, when you study the wisdom words of Torah, you become invested within them, one with them, and one with the one from whom they emanate. When you delight in the Shabbat, invested within its holiness, you are one with the deepest pleasure of the source of all pleasures. When you do kindness to others, you invest your entire being in the fountain of life, and you are one with he who gives life. Then back to Gabe. And if a soul might choose to speak of the bad in another human being, that soul at that time is firmly immersed in all that schmutz of which it speaks and contemplates, slip into thoughts of darkness or words or deeds. Raf said, let's not speak of those things up here. But this neshama must hear. The neshama will hear and know. Mike spoke raising his arm to beyond the heavens and gazing upward. Lift that beast beyond its nature to the highest heights and it will be elevated to a place beyond the nature of all things. A sudden silence, a painful silence, as if no one wished to tell the rest until Raf spoke softly. Allow it to overcome you, Nishamala, to darken your light. Permit yourself to sink to its abyss and... And eventually, a glistening tear ran down into his beard as his voice choked up. Certainly, you will return. No neshama is ever lost. Perhaps after many incarnations, many journeys along many paths, but you will return, and yet higher. But only when you will choose to take this darkness into your own hands and win. I want to win, you exclaimed. I only want to win, and of course I will. I will enter that dark world and bring with me great light. Why should the heavens have exclusive rights to the glow of the divine presence, to mystic union and spiritual ecstasy? I will liberate the creatures of the earthly domain. I will deliver to them that for which they have yearned since their inception. The lower world demands light, and light they shall receive. I am Nishamala. But this oath, this dumb oath makes no sense. How can I win with an oath like this around my neck? Raph was still staring at you with that look of concern while Mike's glow bespoke a certain delight in your innocence. Gabe's head was deep into the console at his desk, seeking something with multiple queries. Finally, after a few more clickety entries, he called out, Clerk! Perhaps you could present the projections from our modeling for this project. Within a nanosecond, the court clerk had a multi-dimensional display visible to all participants. 
We've got most of the specs down for this one, the clerk began, and they're amazing. A real feat of heaven incorporated proprietary engineering. This Nishamala is headed for somewhere in the last quarter of the sixth cosmic cycle. There are only seven cycles planned for space-time, so as you can imagine, the parameters are extremely restrictive by this point. The final cosmic corrections need to be made, and for that sort of precision, only very minuscule, highly focused projections of Nishama light can be allowed to enter, with the exception, of course, of the 36. And Harriet Goldberg, Mike interjected, the waitress in the Greasy Spoons Roadside Cafe mentioned in the Lunar Files, Gabe shot back. Harriet Goldberg is a whole different case. We'll get to Harriet later, said the clerk. Gabe asked, so where on the spectrum do we expect this one to land? The clerk glanced in your direction as if to check that you matched the data. This one has already gone through an intense degree of symptom condensations, which may reflect in certain attitudinal responses. Yes, we are quite aware, said Gabe, but the enlightenment factor, doesn't that still have to be drastically reduced? Of course, said the clerk. Our projections for a fairly standard fit for this era, which would be quite mediocre in any other era, but not bad for the last quarter, as mentioned. Mediocre. The word flew into your ears and stung like a wasp. And the encasement, asked Mike. Ah, the encasement. We've got encasement nailed. It took some trial and error, but we've learned how counterproductive it is to put these step-down nishamas inside coarse encasements. Not fair at all. But that's not a concern. With the aggregate of the labor of the preceding nishamot over all these years, these body encasements are relatively much more refined. But they're still made of meat, said Gabe. They're all made of meat? you asked. Look, said the clerk, it's a wondrous architecture, infinite wisdom. But at the end of the day, you can't go in there with a hydrogen helium encasement like the celestial consciousnesses. For where you're going, it's meat all the way. As for the interface to the meat, I see this Nishama already has been fitted with a superb soul-body bridging model. The ADHD glitch, that's a known issue. We're working on it. Could be environmental. But it's a nice, intelligent model, the kind that loves reading Kabbalistic sci-fi fantasy adventures about angels that are software engineers and the like. Um, Gabe asked, emotional modalities? The clerk pulled up some more charts. Not terrible. Well, it's up to the assigned parents to decide in what condition that remains. And Gabe asked, how does that look, just in probabilities? As he examined the data more closely, the clerk's face turned pale. Well, he said, look, um, much of this could be repaired post-facto with some deep work on the part of the subject. Harriet Goldberg made it through. Harriet's a different case altogether, said Gabe. Raff asked, environmental conditions, are they favorable to a flourishing neshama? The clerk's head was now deep into the data and shaking back and forth. Difficult, he said. I, I wouldn't say hostile, just very dampening. This is the final refinement, after all. We wouldn't be squeezing this neshama through so much symptom if this were an easy job. 
It's not an easy job, you shot back, but I can handle that. This little Nishama will not settle for anything less than total annihilation of all darkness and evil, spiritual enlightenment for the entire world, and the rechanneling of all destructive forces into good. The side of otherness has powerful forces, sure, but as Coach always says, darkness is helpless before light. And a neshama is the ultimate light. Once this neshama turns them around, there's no limit to how bright they can shine. That's my game plan, and I know it can work. Silence. Very sober faces staring at you from all sides. That may be your game plan. Gabe's voice echoed through the chamber. But it isn't heaven incorporated. Gabe! Mike said, you don't always have to be the wet blanket. Give the Nishama some encouragement. Mike turned to you now. Look, Nishamala, all that's expected of you is that you be a really good regular human being. A what? You said. Harriet Goldberg did it. I'm supposed to be average? Not average, Mike said. Mediocre. There's no average human. But you're supposed to achieve the ultimate that a, any human off the street could accomplish. And that's amazing. But it's not at Sadiq, you said. No, it's, it's not at Sadiq. You don't have to vanquish the darkness. That's not what we're sending you for. Just keep struggling with it and winning each time. Like Harriet Goldberg, piped in the clerk. And who, who, you, you asked, who will transform the darkness to light? The Sadiq will, they told you. But he can only do that once you do your part. You said, why on earth would any Nishama want to go down there to struggle with darkness their entire life just so some tzaddik can come along afterwards and zap it between the eyes? Yes, said Gabe. That is the question. That's exactly it, said Mike, nodding at Gabe. Certainly, said Raph. So what is the answer, you demanded. Well, said the clerk, that's why they're giving you all these oaths. The oaths, said Gabe, come from a place far beyond light, even beyond the infinite light. And from, from beyond darkness, said Mike, even beyond the darkness of the absolute void. And that, said Raph, is why they don't make any sense to you. Because that place is the essence of all being as he entirely transcends all knowledge and knowing, just as he transcends light and dark being and not being. From there, from there comes your power to transform darkness into light. I will never understand, you asked. Not until you descend below, said Raph. Only there can you touch the essence. And only there, a voice came from behind you. It was the voice of Coach, who had been observing quietly all this time. There, in touch with the essence, you will see how the one who struggles from within the darkness far outperforms the tzaddik who shines light from beyond. Raf spoke again, calmly and quietly. Nishamalai, he said. We're giving you much to think about today. We think you need some time to contemplate these matters privately, and perhaps... He glanced at the coach, as though to share some secret mutual arrangement. 
perhaps in private consultation with your advisor. Now for part two. We left you, Nishamala, standing in astonishment, dismay, and utter befuddlement before a dignified heavenly tribunal that appeared to be coercing you to take several absurd oaths prior to your descent into a formidable mission to finally enlighten and liberate the lowly world. The court clerk had summarily cut down your aspirations for heroism, declaring you mediocre and attitudinal. Finally, traumatized and shattered, you were sent back by tribunal order for further consultation with your advisor and registered guardian angel known as Coach. So, back to the lab. The lab was in magic forest simulation mode, a forest somewhere between Ganadin and Earth. Waterfalls of microgems plummeted downward, splashing outward in multiple dimensions, reflecting colors of many spectrums in their crystal gleam. A rich variety of trees bore ripe, delicious fruits. Songbirds of magnificent plumage nested in their boughs, singing in exquisite harmony. You walked along a path with your coach in silence hoping that the therapy of this stroll would somehow allow all you had just experienced to fall neatly into place. It wasn't working. Finally, Coach said, if there was one question, what would it be? What transcends light and darkness, you answered. And with that, a floodgate of questions burst open. Isn't darkness just the absence of light? Why even bother with darkness? Just bring in light. Like, what's wrong with my game plan? I want to inundate the lower worlds with light to such an extreme that darkness will have no place to hide. Isn't that the whole point of Torah wisdom and all these mitzvahs? Why won't they let me be the hero I truly am? That's a lot more than one question, Coach commented. Okay, what's wrong with my plan? Boring. Too predictable. Uh, Anishama enters from a place of light, brings light, of course. Darkness is vanquished, obviously. End of story. So why create darkness to begin with? Coach sat down on a log by the waterfall, and you perched upon a rock face to face. Look, he said, we're sending you down there to do something creative and original. You're an Ashama, after all. You're not like the rest of us. You have more than light. You have a spark of the essence inside you. So what's the big deal with dark? Coach sunk into deep thought. Words eventually emerged as though channeled from a higher world. They found light, Coach uttered, sitting all alone in a room. Suddenly, you were in that room. They asked the light, Have you ever met darkness? And light said, No. So they said, Well, darkness is in the next room, and it would really like to meet you. Will you come? And light responded, I would be delighted. So they opened the door, and light flooded into the next room. And light said, Where is darkness? I came all this way to see darkness. And darkness is gone. And you were back in the forest. I don't get it, you said. How does that answer anything? It is an answer, Coach said. 
you cannot hear and comprehend. You can only live it and know it. The essence of all being is not an idea, it is a reality. It is the only reality. Our world cannot convey an absolute reality. Only down there, where everything feels as though it is the absolute reality itself, there you can touch the essence, not with your mind, but with your very core of being. And you have no simulation for this? Coach stared at you intensely. I mean, it's a lot to ask to just trust them on something that makes no sense to me without even tasting it first. Still no response. They tell me to consider myself a Russia and then tell me that it's a plan for disaster. They said that themselves. You don't understand what they are saying, said Coach. And you're telling me I, I can't understand unless I try it out, basically, said Coach. So no simulation? It's never been tried before. There's always a first, and they often crash. I'll trust you on this, you said. Coach laughed. First time you ever heard Coach laugh. <laughs> the tribunal you won't trust, Coach said. And they've been doing this from the get-go. Me, you'll trust in something that's not even beta testing yet. You're nuts. Hey, aren't you my assigned guardian angel? If I can't trust you, who can I trust? Coach snapped back to his standard serious mode, more serious than you had ever seen. Then come with me, Coach said. Lab 5786 had no visible floor or ceiling. The luminous display monitors that formed the walls may as well have been infinite in number. You and Coach hovered over a bluish-white sphere, many times your size suspended in the center of the room. Looks beautiful, you said. So what's the challenge? From beyond, it looks beautiful, said Coach. But once you enter within, it's a disaster. We've infected it with deeply nested doses of lethal otherness. Eventually, that gave rise to an entity that believes it is all that exists and that it created this planet for itself to rule. A beast formed almost entirely of absolutely nothing. We call it the Dragon of Darkness. Nice! Your mission in this simulation, continued Coach, is to harness that Dragon of Darkness and unleash its potential to rectify its world so that the subjective experience will match the subjective view you behold now. Th that makes no sense, you said. If it's formed of absolutely nothing, an artifact of otherness, how can it have any power to do anything at all, never mind fix its own world? Oh, so you're not interested then, said Coach. You'd rather engage in something predictable and boring. Oh, oh well, uh, so, so what are my weapons? What do you need? Um, a dynamic energy shield, as thick as I can handle and retain mobility, multi-spectrum goggles, and a light dagger. The yours. What else? Can you make me invincible and eternal? You always were in a Shamala. And besides, this is a simulation. So what's the risk factor? Like no skin in the game? Coach gave you that stare again. Visceral emotions of dread and terror. Excruciating pain. Scenes of gory violence and simulated death. No sweat. I'm going in. And you were there. Within the deep sphere of inverted light.
The creamy white clouds it transpired were a deception. From below, they oozed a dark gray substance that rained downward in a torrent and glazed everything below. As you made your descent, swarms of tiny, dark organisms flew toward you, emitting a thunderous roar of a multitude of screaming voices. You focused your mind upon your subliminal connection to the beyond, as Coach had taught you to do. Your shield responded with a pulsating glow. As the swarm encompassed you, you swung out your light dagger. Immediately, the outer shell of these beings vanished. All that remained was a sparkling dust of many colors that rose higher and yet higher, eventually to be absorbed in the glow of the upper surface of the clouds. A part of you was immersed within this subjective experience. A part of you remained outside, hovering there with coach, observing all that transpired with the aid of the monitoring displays. So far, that part of you said, a piece of cake. Coach scanned the displays and said not a word. You traveled deeper and yet deeper, liberating yet more sparks from the approaching swarms. Gradually, the light from beyond the clouds was able to enter, first in isolated beams, then in pockets of daylight reaching to the mountaintops of a murky, hazy planet. As you descended through many atmospheres and deeper clouds, the swarms intensified in density and difficulty. Inevitably, a swarm approached that was not responsive to your light. As intensely as you focused your meditation, as bright as your shield glowed, these nasty creatures only grew more belligerent and hostile until they became dark gray spheres of negative energy, absorbing the light of your shield and dagger to become larger and yet more terrifying. One such dark sphere lunged straight towards you, its toxic gases choking your breath, its negative energy field sucking in all your light until you too were sucked inside its shell. Now you began the entire process again, descending through this sphere as you had through its parent. The upper strata allowed for some sparks to be liberated with light. As you proceeded lower, greater challenges ensued until again you were absorbed into a hostile yet darker sphere. And then again and again the recursion became impossible to count, each time more challenging, bringing more failure, more darkness. There was only one way out. You had to plunge below, to the ground beneath the clouds, and deal with the darkness at its origin. But your light shield would not permit you to sink to ground level. So you ripped it off. Outside, in the lab, Coach turned to your transcendent self and said, I thought you wanted to remain a sadic. You heard those words, but you had no chance to respond. Your mind had no room for anything right now other than keeping your other self alive. That self was on the ground now, standing with two legs upon the thick mud of a world dimly lit by geothermal energy seeping through the cracks in its rocks. There were sounds of movement about you, but in whatever spectrum you chose to perceive, there was nothing there, nothing but your anticipation of what must be. So you ripped off the goggles, and there it was, breathing its icy darkness right in your face. You couldn't have seen it before because it had no light. It was a shadow, but a three-dimensional shadow, about the same size and dimensions as you occupied. Even the fire that blew from its nostrils was a dark, cold shadow of a fire. You had one device left, your light dagger. You used it now. 
The dagger flashed its light, illuminating the landscape to the heavens. The darkness vanished, and so did the dragon. You switched it off, hesitating to place it back in its sheath. Good thing the dragon was instantly back again, larger and fiercer than before. Backing off, you attempted the same move again foolishly. The result was no different. As long as the dagger emitted its photons, the dragon was gone. As soon as it was switched off, the dragon was immediately back. They found light sitting in a room. You heard the voice of your coach echoing in your mind. Light, would you like to meet darkness? You racked down the intensity of your light dagger as low as it would go. You aimed for the heart of the beast and switched the dagger back on. The beast remained. Its heart did not. You adjusted the aim of the dagger. Wherever it was aimed, there was no dragon. When it left, there it was, yet more formidable. So, is it an artifact or what? You asked yourself. Above, Coach answered your question, speaking softly to your transcendent self. Darkness and light, both the same are creations generated from a singularity that transcends both. At the essence, at the beginning that cannot be known, they are one. At the end, where you stand now, they must also become one. How this was to be accomplished, you had no idea. You had no opportunity to even think about it. The dragon of darkness was now chasing you down, The light of your dagger provided illumination and protection, but it also seemed to feed the very same monster that it negated. You ran in terror. If you were a creature of light, what could such a being do to you? You found a cavern amidst the geothermal stream. It was warm. It was good. In some distant fleeting way, it reminded you of the bliss of your garden above. Oh, how you yearned to return there. The cavern provided an opportunity to reconsider your strategy, yet instead you found yourself absorbing the experience of just being there. It was a tangible, very earthly pleasure. The pleasure above swept away your sense of self. Here, on a physical plane, you could sense the warmth and remain an entity of your own. For now, you thought, This is not so bad. Let me enjoy this. That is when the mouth of the cavern clamped down. The ground beneath you began to flow like an organ of a living being, and it dawned on you that this was not a cavern. The massive teeth of the dragon were hard as diamonds, sharp as razors, and swift as bullets to do their job. There's no signal, said Coach, scanning the monitors. So what the heck do I do now, your transcendent self yelled. Can't do much if you're no longer in the game, Coach answered. But you told me I would be invincible. You're still here. Down there, I have to be indestructible even down there. It's a simulation, not even beta, Coach answered. Frantically, you just scanned all the displays for some signal, anything, nothing. So you stopped. You stood perfectly still as though you had just slapped yourself back to your senses. You breathed deeply, breathed deeply again, 
and then closed your eyes and focused your mind, all of it. Nishamala, whispered coach, you can't connect to something that's no longer there. I'm there, you answered. I'm a Nishama. Nothing can destroy me. Nothing can destroy even the proxy of me. Perhaps my form can be diminished, but even then, not for long. You turned your face towards Coach and gave back that trademark stare. Anishama, you said, is a child of the essence, beyond darkness and light, beyond life and death, beyond being and not being. So you can't help me, but he still believes in me. Coach stared back, holding cool. Very good, then, Coach instructed you. Focus your mind now on what it is to be a dragon. That took a few moments to sink in, but you did it. You imagined life as an organism made of darkness that revels in its power and destroys all that challenges it. You felt the urges and the instincts of a meat-and-blood entity. You saw the world from the perspective of darkness rather than light. And within that image, you found yourself. The gastric juices, you said, are releasing their enzymes. I'm being swiftly metabolized. My cells are entering its bloodstream. Go for its neural pathways, coach advised. I'm finding those neurons now, traveling through them on multiple paths. They cluster at the brain. There's a high-level frontal cortex. I'll reassemble there. What are you going to do from there, asked Coach. Kill the bugger, you answered. So you'll destroy its entire world, said Coach. What's the point of that? What else can I do from inside its brain, you asked. And then you answered yourself. Inside its brain? I can't think of a more strategic position to affect transformation than from inside its brain. Quickly you switched into deep focus mode once again. Once again, you imagined being the dragon, this time a flying dragon, a dragon that yearned for light. You spoke to the dragon from inside its mind, describing the many worlds beyond its darkness, portraying the dragons of light, of which it was a mere shadow, and how they craved to reach yet higher, to merge within their origin beyond. You explained in meathead dragon terms, how its reality was truly a divine reality and its entire purpose was to discover, realize, and reveal that truth. You described how beautiful its world appeared from beyond and how it could become that way from within as well. You told it sci-fi adventures of dragons transformed into enlightened beings by Nishamas. You painted upon the walls of its mind and heart a picture of the utter bliss that had been your home just outside of Aden. Coach heard all your thoughts. To a dragon, Coach said, just outside Eden is not good enough. A dragon wants it all. But, you said, if an Ishama can only experience the glow of Eden, how can I promise a dragon Eden itself? Because, Coach answered, now you have a dragon to ride upon. Together you can arrive. 
A furnace burst a flame within the dragon's heart and it started to fly. The clouds began to disperse. Patches of blue appeared through which beams of light shot down to the planet floor, evaporating the goo that encased its denizens. The dragon soared yet higher. Coach was in awe. This is wondrous, Coach said. Darkness behaving as light and yet retaining all its power as darkness. Even its world is transformed from the inside out. This could only be with the power of the essence. Now you only need to fly it high enough that a tzaddik with a light shield can reconnect its spark to its origin. Hey, you said, I can take care of that myself. Neshamala, said Coach, you left your shield, your dagger, and your spectrum goggles behind. You had to in order to arrive here. Now... You are a dragon. To reconnect the dragon, you must stand beyond it. You are within it. This dragon is transformed, you said. This dragon is the ultimate tzaddik, beyond a tzaddik, way beyond. Watch this, you said. Autopilot. No sooner had you said those words than your dragon began to plunge. You attempted to regain control, but it was too late. A mitre dragon caught it on its descent, swallowing it alive. So I'll transform this one as well, you yelled. The recursive loop you had experienced upon entry now kicked back in, unfolding as a relentless hierarchy of dragon within dragon within dragon. There was no escape, except for reboot, which Coach did. In an instant, there was no dragon, no sky, no planet. Even the lab was gone, all of it. You stood once again before the tribunal as though you had never left. Promise us, Nishamullah, that you will be a tzaddik, said Mike. I will try, you said, when I can. Good. And you will not be a Russia. With your help, you answered, and the help from the essence from which I come, I will not be a Russia. And if the whole world says you are a tzaddik, continued Mike, promise that even then you will consider yourself similar to a Russia. Yes, you answered. Until the entire planet shines, I will work to transform its darkness from within. Until the dragon reaches Eden, it is still a dragon. Raph smiled. Why stop there, Nishamala? Why stop there?